0: All right, friends, welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to have you with us. Another beautiful, sunny, this time, sunny Monday morning here in Southern California, April 10, 2023. Welcome, one and all. Uh, Today is a great day. So, we are kicking off a brand new series. It's a series that I can't really believe that I'm even attempting, Um, but I finally just decided to pull the trigger. It has to be done. So, this is a series called Transcending Eschatology. Uh, How can we rise above the chaos of the end times? At this point, I'm not even 100% sure how long the series will go. I'm not 100% sure that I'll be able to release an episode every single week. Uh, I haven't really worked ahead on this. So, each week I'm going to dive into the topic that I want to discuss. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to write the episode, record it. And if it gets done, awesome. Uh, if not, then I'll just keep working on it and release it the next week. When it comes to this series, I'd rather release something that works well, you know, rather than just release something quickly because of the time frame, right? Because I I got to get this out this week, so I just have to cut it short and just knock it out. Um, I would rather release what is important and not just what fits into the time. So, With that fun little introduction, let's dive in. A little caveat to begin, there will be no minute of transparency for those of you who literally listen just for the minute of transparency. Uh, We're not gonna do that during this series because a huge part of this series will be me talking about my understanding of eschatology, uh, how it impacted me growing up, some of the changes I went through related to it, where I'm at now. There's going to be a lot of very transparent stuff that I go into. So I don't think that I need to tell a little story at the beginning, uh, as those will be sprinkled throughout. So let's go. Um, Today's topic, Transcending Eschatology Part 1, The Doomsday Clock. Uh, Chapter 1, Why the Fascination? Chapter 2, Doom and Gloom. And Chapter 3, Science versus Spirituality. Chapter one, why the fascination? So let me start with a brief hypothesis. So it's my belief that when people are presented with information about the end of time, regardless of where it's coming from, if it's science, if it's religion, if it's their spiritual woo woo beliefs or whatever, people will immediately separate themselves into one of two groups or one of two camps, right? The first camp are people who find it fascinating and just want more information, like, oh, this is crazy, tell me more, tell me more. And the second camp are the people who find it a little bit unsettling, and at the end of the day, they really don't want anything to do with it. Now, I know, that's a very black and white explanation, right? And I'm sure that there is a huge spectrum in between the two, but it just feels like you're either going to be interested or not. Similar to some other common likes and dislikes, right? Most people either like beans in their chili or they don't. Um, People either like nuts in their brownies or they don't. Um, You're either a chocolate ice cream fan or you're a vanilla ice cream fan, right? Very few people have like this wishy-washy, I don't know. I don't really know. You pretty much by this point in your life know whether you like some of these things or not. And it's not rocket science, right? My hypothesis is that a desire to know more about the end of time works in a very similar way. People will either move toward it or they'll move away from it. Me, I run toward it. And I've been that way most of my life. So what is eschatology in the first place? Besides being a $5 word that makes you sound way more important than you really are, right? Well, it's pretty simple. According to dictionary.com, eschatology is a term used in theology, and it means any system of doctrines concerning last or final matters as in death, judgment, afterlife, etc. So it's the branch of theology dealing with such matters. Now, according to the definition, the study of how life ends, the end of the world, what happens after death, etc., It's a bit more broad than I was taught when I was growing up. For me, it simply meant the study of end-time events. Now, I was brought up in a Christian home in a very specific religious tradition that had some very specific beliefs about the end of time. Um, I've mentioned this numerous times on the podcast. Um, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, so it's, it's right there in the name, right? The term Adventist can loosely be defined as looking forward to the second advent or believing that Jesus is coming again, which would suggest that things on earth will eventually end or at least change in a pretty dramatic way. So I came by my fascination, honestly, or you could say I was indoctrinated, or you could say I was brainwashed, whatever you wanna call it, Um, but that was my childhood, right? And not just childhood, that was middle school, that was high school, and that was college even. So I was, like I said, I was raised in an SDA home, I attended SDA schools all the way through, so eschatology, or the study of end-time events, has always been a part of my life in some form or fashion. But what about the fascination part, right? Are all Seventh-day Adventists fascinated by it? Probably not. I mean, it's a pretty big part of the religious belief structure. Um, but my guess is that my original hypothesis probably holds true even within a Seventh-day Adventist church. Some people latch on to that piece of the faith, while others choose not to get that involved. But for me, there was just something about it, something that caught my attention and just wouldn't let it go. From a really young age, hearing about it in my Christian school, to conversations with my parents, to church services where it was brought up or or part of the message, I just found it fascinating In high school, we had a religion class. I think it was my junior year, probably. Maybe either junior or senior year. And I remember a huge chunk of the textbook focusing on the parts of the Bible that talked about the end of time. When I graduated from college, I went through a a phase, right? Where you start to question what you really believe. A lot of people start that phase in college. But for me, I kept my belief structure pretty similar all the way through college. And it wasn't until I graduated and started running into other people out in the real world who had different ideas, different beliefs about the end of time, that I really had to start questioning, why do I believe what I believe, right? And for me, for some reason, the questioning never really focused on God or Jesus or the Bible. A lot of it focused squarely on eschatology, I felt like I had to research it for myself and decide if I truly believed in the version of it that I grew up with. Around that time, the Left Behind series was being written and published, and it quickly became a cultural phenomenon, very similar to the way Harry Potter and the Harry Potter series caught on in its day. The problem for me was that the Left Behind series taught a very different version of eschatology than I had ever heard before, and I needed to understand why Why is it different? And why were so many people fascinated with this version of eschatology? So I spent a really big chunk of time um, in my mid-20s reading, researching, all the different various Christian beliefs about the end of time so that I could get to a place where I felt confident in the version of it that I really believed in. And then about that time, life happened. Uh, I met my future wife. We got engaged. I went back to school to get my master's degree. Um, In 1999, we got married and I graduated with my MSW. Between 2000 and 2004, we had three kids. And really, family life just took center stage. School, extracurricular activities, travel sports, drama, theater, dance, vacations, home ownership, all of the things, right? All of those things that just make up the middle part of your life. And so during this time, my interest in eschatology almost ceased to exist, right? It's as if I took it and put it on a shelf and I just didn't touch it for the next 20 years. Sure, every now and then something crazy would happen in the world and I would look over at that shelf just wondering. But then life would go back to normal and I would just carry on with my life. And that's the way it went, like I said, for 20 years almost exactly 20 years. Then 2020 happened, right? And we all know what that means. COVID-19, the pandemic, racial unrest, political unrest, wars around the globe, protests, riots, inflation, high gas prices, soaring real estate costs, um, and just a general sense of unrest in the world and uneasiness that even non-Christians are able to verbalize. But this time, I didn't just look over the shelf and wonder. I took it down, I dusted it off, and I allowed some of that fascination to return. Now before we go any further, I want to go over a few caveats about this entire series. So first of all, I am not an expert in the field of eschatology. I don't want you to think that, I don't want you to hear me say that. I don't claim to have answers, right? At this point in my life, I'm holding things a lot more loosely than I did back when I was in my 20s. I've talked before on this podcast about deconstruction, right? And that definitely plays into some of these things as well. As I've deconstructed some of my religious baggage, if you will, uh, I've been forced to look at my beliefs about eschatology as well. My struggles with organized religion and whether or not the Bible is actually the inerrant word of God all of it makes it harder for me to hold on to some of those dogmatic beliefs I used to have about the end of time. So I've had to really loosen my grip, become a bit more open to the possibility that maybe you can't know everything for sure, that maybe we're all on the right track in some areas and a little off in others. So that's me. That's where I'm at. And I just want to make sure that you know that before we get too far into this discussion about the end of time. Okay, chapter two, doom and gloom. So let's dive in. No, actually, let's start slow. Let's slowly wade into the shallow end first, because this topic can get very, very heavy, very, very fast. So let's just start with a cultural overview, right? We'll get into the world religions and Christianity and what the Bible says about the end in later episodes. But First, let's try to look at it completely from a non-religious or non-spiritual aspect or viewpoint. Now, I know this might be really difficult because it's very hard to divorce people's spiritual or religious beliefs from their view of the end of time or their view about the world and whether or not it'll end or how it will end. But let's just pretend for a minute, right? Let's pretend that there's a person living in this country Maybe they've heard about God, maybe they've heard about religion, but they're pretty agnostic in the way that they choose to address it either way, right? This person is most likely a product of public education. School has taught them all about evolution and the importance of science. They most likely believe that something can only exist if it is proven to exist. And in order to prove something exists, there has to be a scientific test to validate That it exists. Now, believe it or not, people like this can also engage in eschatology, right? They can think about, study, and try to understand the concept that life could potentially come to an end, that the world as we know it could cease to exist. How do I know this? Well, just take a look at our culture and the things that we create. In a recent episode of this podcast, we looked at the rise of AI, or artificial intelligence, and I went into detail about books and movies that almost seem to predict the future. But many of these books and movies also seem to be hyper-focused on our world changing or ending in some way, right? There are numerous genres, but think about how many books and movies fit into the category of dystopian literature or apocalyptic thriller, Right, when it comes to books, the dystopian theme ran strong here for a while. Back in, I don't know how many years ago, but books like The Hunger Games or Divergent or Maze Runner, right? All books that kind of had this dystopian backdrop of the world reaching some huge climax or some huge breaking point and then changing dramatically. And then there are the numerous movies, right, that are based on the apocalyptic theme. So here are just some of them that have made lists on the internet. This is the end. I am legend. Don't look up. The road. Shaun of the dead. It comes at night. The day after. A quiet place. 12 monkeys. Failsafe. Melancholia. Wally, Children of men. The sacrifice. Mad Max. Right? All movies that have to do with some apocalyptic um, or dystopian thing that happens and just changes the world. In general, now that list doesn't even add blockbuster films like Armageddon, Deep Impact, Outbreak, Moonfall, Greenland, 2012, uh, The Core, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, The Matrix, Waterworld. I mean, why do these types of books and movies seem to do so well in our culture? My guess is that a lot of us fall into the fascinated category. Many of us are fascinated with the end of time or what it could look like. Now, my assumption is that many of the writers, directors, producers are not necessarily religious people. Or if they are, they weren't writing their books or making their movies based on those religious beliefs because a lot of these movies are based on science, right? Scientific ways that the world could end. Ways that seem capable of being proven by science. For example, in the list of movies I read through above, here are just some of the doomsday scenarios that could potentially lead to the world ending, starting with um, one of the newer ones, right, AI taking over, or alien invasions, or global warming, the earth overheating from within, extreme weather, an asteroid strike, pandemics, uh, a medical abnormality that causes like a zombie apocalypse. Uh, extreme water shortage, extreme flooding, World War III, nuclear war, or nuclear fallout. And that's just a very short list of the different things or themes that we see in in books and movies. But back to the title of this section, Doom and Gloom. Before you start to think that all the doom and gloom exists as fiction made up by authors and movie creators— I'd like to introduce you to the Doomsday Clock. Some of you may already understand what this means or what it is, but for those of you who have not, here's a quick overview from Wikipedia. So the Doomsday Clock is a symbolic representation of how close we are to a human-made global catastrophe. Uh, It began back in 1947 and has been kept up to date annually since then. So what it is, is a clock and the clock ends at midnight. And what midnight signifies is that a hypothetical global catastrophe happens, right? So if the clock were to strike midnight, that hypothetical global catastrophe would happen. So the big hand and the little hand represent how close we are to that reality or to midnight. So this concept can be traced all the way back to a group of scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project, right? For those of you who know what that is, (laughs) or for those of you who don't, it's the project that led to the production of our first nuclear weapons. So when the clock, the doomsday clock was implemented, it wasn't so much a declaration of our struggle with other countries as much as it was to reflect the continuous danger that we were going to be living in because of the, um, the fact that nuclear weapons existed in our world. So the clock is an illustration to reflect urgency, the same way that a countdown suggests that something bad will happen unless it is stopped. So if the clock was originally created to depict danger based on nuclear proliferation, over the years it's been expanded to include other things, right? things like nuclear threats, climate change, uh, bioterrorism, and now more more recently, artificial intelligence or technological danger. And as the threats in these areas increase, the clock gets closer and closer to midnight. So the Wikipedia page has a great little graph um, and a table showing the fluctuations over the years. The largest it's ever been has been 17 minutes to midnight, and that was back in 1991. In 1991, the U.S. and the Soviet Union reached some uh, monumental arms agreements, right? And at the same time, USSR dissolved into Russia and some other independent countries. So that really led to a, a, a time of peace. As the Cold War was coming to an end and it felt like everything was going well in the world, they kept moving the the doomsday clock backward, and it got to 17 minutes. Now, the shortest amount of time it's ever been to midnight happened this year, in January 24th, 2023. The clock is now sitting at 90 seconds to midnight. And that's due to very obvious things, right? Like the war in Ukraine, uh, international issues between the US, Russia, China, nuclear instability, Um, not just with Russia invading Ukraine and having nuclear weapons, but also the way Russia invaded Ukraine and took over nuclear power plants within the Ukraine. There are continued issues related to climate change. And then, of course, you have the whole COVID-19 pandemic and the fallout from that. Again, similar to authors and movie producers, the doomsday clock is not being set based on spiritual or religious beliefs, right? This clock is set by members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. So these are people heavily invested in science and culture. Their predictions are based on real tangible things that can be proven to be true. Things like the danger of nuclear weapons, the visible signs of climate change, technology concerns when it comes to things like the unregulated use of artificial intelligence. So they aren't setting the clock based on their religious beliefs, or after reading the Bible or whatever the Bible says will happen at the end of time, or even after assessing the spiritual climate of the world. They aren't looking at the rise in Christian nationalism, for example, as a potential cause for alarm, at least not in their statement as to why they changed it to 90 seconds to midnight. In that report, they simply listed the scientifically proven things related to the things we talked about. But it makes sense, right? These are scientists. They're viewing the physical world around us uh, through a very physical lens, addressing credible threats that can be defined, monitored, addressed, tested, versus some of the abstract things that come along with spirituality and religious beliefs. Now, Before we move into our final chapter today, I do have one other thing that I want to discuss related to this. Now, don't quote me on this. I just find it fascinating and wanted to talk about it. So, since we are using the doomsday clock to illustrate how close we are to extinction or an extinction-level event, with the end of the world being midnight and the clock reading 11-something p.m. or 90 seconds to midnight, it's not lost on me that the most popular platform the world is engaging on right now is called TikTok. After all, what sound does a grandfather clock make as the pendulum swings back and forth? Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Again, don't quote me on that, because that's where my fascination ends. There's no conspiracy theory, there's nothing tangible that I'm going to try to connect between the doomsday clock and the tiktok app. In fact, the closest I can get to some level of a connection between the two isn't even scientific or, you know, something factual that I can put my finger on. It's much more abstract, it's much more spiritual. In the bible in Daniel 12:4, we read, "But you, O Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book Until the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Now, many believe this is talking about information, right? That the creation of the internet is what this verse is talking about. And in our recent episode on AI, I suggested maybe it's AI that fulfills this verse. But I'm not opposed to throwing TikTok in there as a contender as well. Not that TikTok is as powerful as the AI that's being released these days, or as expansive as the entire internet in its entirety. But it is powered by the internet, and it uses AI on some level to comb through content and filter what you see on your For You page. This functionality is called an algorithm, right? That's how we refer to it. But my assumption is that that algorithm is now using AI pretty hardcore as part of its functionality. Now, TikTok is the perfect platform for sharing information, right? It's a very easy way for knowledge to increase, the way the verse describes. And not just short choreographed dances or funny clips of pets or people doing dumb things. I'm talking about how-tos, media clips, up-to-the-minute video clips of things happening around the world, uh, hot takes from both sides of the political aisle, Religious beliefs, deconstructionist beliefs, alarmist beliefs, conspiracy theories, all coming at us at 100 miles per hour. The internet has to be searched. AI has to be leveraged. But all you have to do is open TikTok, and the information just pours into our heads nonstop. TikTok is like the funnel, right? When you, when you add oil to your car, you stick a funnel in that little hole and you pour the oil in. The entirety of the internet and the power of AI are basically being funneled down through TikTok into one steady, ingestible stream of data that the entire world can remain connected to. Chapter 3. Science versus Spirituality Okay, let's wrap things up by talking a little bit about the differences between scientific eschatology and religious or spiritual eschatology. So most of this episode, we've been talking about the first, right? I wanted to start very high-level, cultural, um, socially relevant. And this is all based on kind of scientific eschatology, the study of the end-time scenarios through the lens of science and the observable world. I mean, the doomsday clock and how it is set each year is really based on four very specific risk assessments, right? You have nuclear risk, climate change, biological threats, and now disruptive technologies like AI, for example. But like we said, these are all very scientific in nature, and they do not take into consideration a belief system based on a religious belief or a denomination or some form of spirituality. But that doesn't mean much, right? Because I would suggest that eschatology from a religious or spiritual background is way more prevalent than even the scientific eschatology we just talked about. In other words, there may be scientists who stay in their lane and never think about the doomsday clock. But my assumption is that just about every religion has a belief about the end of time. Now, I can't prove that yet, but I'm going to put that assumption to the test in the coming weeks. But let's run with it for now. The truth of the matter is this. Religions exist in part because we all want answers to the big three questions. Where we came from, why we're here, and where we go when we die. And like we've talked about earlier, it's the third one that really sends us down the eschatological path. Trying to discern what might happen in the future. Trying to figure out what happens when we die. Trying to figure out if our world ends, how will it end? And trying to determine if there's anything that we can do to be part of something beyond this short life on earth. And as people all over the world seek answers to these questions, what happens? New religions emerge. New belief systems are written down based off of these answers. And before you know it, hundreds of thousands of people are following along with that religious belief structure. They have kids, and they teach them the same beliefs. Those kids have kids, and so on and so forth. And pretty soon you have a world religion right? Some of them are even sanctioned by the country where that religion is the most prevalent. And this is where we're headed next week. I want to look at some of the major religions in the world and find out what it is that they believe about the end of time. And then after doing that, we'll bring it all back to the worldview that I've held my whole life, which is Christianity, and begin to dissect the various views of the end time within that religious tradition. So for this week, let's land the plane. First off, thank you so much for choosing to go on this journey with me. Not just the Transcend Human journey, um, that's, that's great, but choosing to listen to this series specifically, these episodes on eschatology. If you're the fascinated type like me, I can see why you're here. If you're on the other end of the spectrum, wow, I'm impressed and humbled that you've actually decided to go along for the ride with us. I'll try to make things as simple as possible, as painless as possible, but it's my belief that a knowledge about the end of time is important. Not having all the details and definitely not being right, but just being open and available to understand it, to listen, to read, and then allow God to impress on us in the future the things that really are important. Here's an illustration for you. When I walk from one end of the Yosemite Valley to the other, what do I remember? I'll tell you. I remember the tunnel view of the entire valley. I remember Bridal Falls, El Capitan, Sentinel Dome, Vernal Falls, Upper Yosemite Falls, and Half Dome. Here's the things I don't remember. Every road we took to get there, every path or hiking trail we took to see these things, The names of all the parking lots, the visitor centers, the camping locations, the names of all the lodges in the valley, etc., etc., etc. And that's the way it is with eschatology, specifically the intense Bible prophecy-based stuff that we'll eventually get into. What I've come to learn is that knowing what the Bible says just might be more important than how we interpret it. Now, I know that is going to sound very blasphemous to a lot of you who grew up in the Christian faith, but this is what I mean. If there are three ways to interpret a section of Bible prophecy, what is more important, picking one of the three and then blasting everyone else for being wrong? Or would it be better to understand all three, hold them loosely, and then allow God to help us navigate it when the time is right? But I digress. More on that in future episodes. For now, like I said, thanks for joining me. Um, We're going to wrap things up with just a few simple questions here. First of all, when it comes to the end of time, are you the fascinated type or are you the more ambivalent type? Number two, had you ever heard of the doomsday clock before? And what's your take on it? What's your take on the fact that scientists have changed it to 90 seconds to midnight this year? And question three, what camp are you in? Do you view eschatology through the lens of science? Or do you view it through a more religious or spiritual lens? So there you have it. Three questions for this week to wrestle with. Um, Like I said, thank you so much for joining me. It was great having you here. Very high-level overview this week. Things are going to get more intense as we go on, but I'm just glad that you chose to join me for the intro. And hopefully we set a, a good foundation Uh, to work off of in the next coming weeks. So that's it, everyone. Um, I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Uh, Until next time, everyone, keep transcending human.